0: Investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends, and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Well, welcome to the very first episode of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast, and thank you very much for joining me. So today what we'd like to discuss is uh, we've created a report on Melbourne's 2021 property market relating to the trends, opportunities and an outlook. The idea of this being to help guide and optimise property investment decisions going forward. Now, if you're registered on our database, you should have received a copy of this report already, but if not, then please register and we would be more than happy to send you out uh, a copy. So what I thought I'd do first is to just give you a bit of a summary uh, um, as to what the report entails. So to begin with, Obviously, the 2020 Melbourne market, um, there was significant struggles for Melbournians through health, community and businesses being severely impacted by COVID-19. The lockdown saw the Melbourne property market at different stages go into hibernation with the inability to, uh, to transact. And there were a number of fluctuations for that market performance throughout the year as a result of the first and second waves that we, uh, we suffered from. But it did show really considerable resilience along the way and has rebounded quite strongly towards the end of last year and into 2021. And it's really now starting to defy um, the initial negative forecasts that were uh, quite common throughout the year and showing considerable strength. Now, as long as there is a threat of COVID uh, still hanging over us and and potential further shutdowns remain in place, there's obviously going to be some ongoing risks. However, with the vaccine developments and the rollout um, starting as we speak, um, and the strong uh, market fundamentals that we uh, we benefit from in Melbourne, it's likely under, to underpin some fairly st- long-term surety for the market, which is great. Now. Looking towards uh, the year ahead and having a look at how the market for uh, the first half of 2021 is is likely to benefit, certainly obviously the extremely low interest rates that uh, are currently in play is likely to really support the market. Um, The easing of lending restrictions uh, that the federal government announced back in October and is likely to to come into play in March. Uh, There's some fairly strong pent up demand for buyers that have still been quite active in the market but have found there being a lack of supply and lap, lack of type of property that they're looking for, uh, meaning that they're still um, on the hunt, um, and also anticipated recovery in yields, which may take a little bit longer, but with the eventual return of over to overseas travel and students, that will start to support that rental market. And the fact that buying an investment property, which we'll go through today, um, is the most affordable it's been in years is going to make the, uh, the markets continue on uh, at a fairly strong rate. Now, within the report, we focused on four key factors which are likely to um, to specifically drive investment property activity in the year ahead. And these four factors are the strengthening demand for investment grade properties, uh, buyer capital being bolstered, the recovery of uh, the rental markets, and then finally, trends away from city living is likely to be revised. So before we, we go through those four factors, I thought it was important to uh, revised 2020 and uh, and just go over what the market's done f- for that year so starting the year off it was actually quite strong we um, the market was was quite quite good off the back of uh, a strong finish to 2019 and, and that came about after the surprise at the time election result in May 2019 and the market really built from from August on uh, and had some some pretty strong growth and that was the expectation for 2020. At that stage that the market was going to move quite well but um with COVID hitting in uh, and really the restrictions coming into play around march market activity pretty much stopped immediately um, the first wave numbers as they started to improve and it looked as though we were getting things under control so did transactions and things started to pick up and, and looked quite positive However, in Melbourne, with the second wave, um, things stopped again immediately, and prices actually then did start to drop as as confidence waned and uh, the um, the consequences of the second wave really became apparent. Which was in contrast to the other capital cities, which as they did not suffer from that, they really their market started to really consolidate and uh, and even started to recover and uh, and perform okay throughout two thousand, certainly the second half of two thousand and twenty. Um, melbourne was actually the only capital city for 2020 that recorded a price drop Um, the other cities actually recovered and and performed quite well so obviously our um, second wave restrictions eased towards the end of september um, and uh, by the time we got to mid-october open for inspections um, and in-person auctions as opposed to online auctions um, came back into play and and that led to um, the supply level starting to pick up because there was a, a fair bit of pent up supply in the market by uh, vendors that had been wanting to sell during what's traditionally a very busy August, September, spring market. Um, and the demand for those that were prepared to buy but just weren't able to get out and look at properties was quite pent up as well. So when the market did open, um, it was it, there was some quite good activity towards the end of 2020 and that's f- flowed on into the into the new year. So, despite those those sort of doomsday predictions, um, the market really didn't drop significantly. There were some reductions, but certainly not to the extent that um, some predictions were having. I, th- I think I saw as uh, as much as thirty percent with uh, with some. But um, because of the the drop in both demand and supply throughout the year, it really meant that the market stopped, as opposed to having one one side dominating the other, which is typically where you'll see a market movement. Um, we didn't we didn't receive that, and as a result, the uh, the market just stopped and didn't have a, a, a real drop in values. Okay, so that brought us to the end of 2020. Now, looking into 2021, as I said before, we, we think there's going to be four key factors that are really going to drive the market going into the new year. Um, the first of those being demand for investment grade properties certainly still remains very strong. Now, as many of you will have heard, um, when I talk about uh, one of the key attributes to investment grade properties, one of the obvious focuses that we have is multifaceted demand for those types of properties. Now, obviously investors weren't strong during 2020, and investment property is seen as a discretionary purchase, and there were certainly other focuses for people um, wanting to consolidate their, uh, their own financial positions through the year, but first home buyers and upsizers were still quite active when they were able to transact. Um, and they that activity certainly sustained values during the downturn. Um, unlike the majority of other property um, sectors, that, that investment grade market, particularly the uh, single fronted cottages, but even the older style apartments during the uh, the mid part of the year, sort of sub $800,000, were certainly still quite active for good quality properties. Um, many of the buyers that were looking um, corporate professionals, that sort of thing, were really able to transfer their work home quite easily. Um, and as a result, they uh, their savings continued to increase, but also with the reduced spending, they weren't able to get out um, into the marketplace and uh, and really spend on anything. So that bulked up that savings and, and really gave them greater capacity. So it really um, enabled them to, uh, to continue to look into the marketplace and potentially take advantage um, of uh, a market where there wasn't as much competition. Now, those that are probably in similar corporate positions but perhaps a little further advanced in their careers are now likely to consider buying investments in 2021. And that's primarily due to the favorable conditions, but they'll have put themselves in fairly strong financial positions for the same reason, saving money, reduced spending throughout 2020, and will, will most likely now see 2021 as an opportunity. Uh, and that'll certainly continue to push the market along quite well um, in that investment-grade space. The second uh, key factor that we think will uh, will help to drive the market into the, the new year is that buyer capital, as we said, has been bolstered um, both from a savings perspective but also as a result of lending restrictions being eased. Now, interest rates at the moment, um, will, back in November, were cut to the lowest on record and, and currently sit at a um, point 0.1% which is down from the previous record low of 0.25%. So that further boosts the borrowing potential and certainly reduced loan repayments for long-term loans that people may have had. So that saving that's been made during the pandemic will also assist buyers to have larger deposits and potentially reduce their risk of needing lender's mortgage insurance as well. You combine that with the fact that uh, the federal government is now putting in place, or, or hoping to put in place, measures to ease bank lending restrictions. This will further increase borrowing capacity for uh, those looking to not only purchase investment properties but also perhaps upgrade homes, that type of thing as well. Now, according to Stuart Weems of ProSolution Private Clients, who many of you will know, um, people who have got perhaps a surplus cash flow of say around eighty 000 to ninety thousand dollars. Um, can currently borrow approximately $850,000. Now, Stuart says, with the proposed changes that are coming in place, and with the easing of restrictions, that could increase to as much as $1.6 million. So that's a significant change into someone's borrowing capacity and, and allowing them to uh, to have a greater uh, purchasing capacity going into the new year. And these, com- these factors combined, as well as uh, the likely improving of, of rental yields later in the year, are likely to uh, to lead to buying an investment property being some of the most affordable it's been in years. Now we've in the report, which uh, many of you all have seen. If you haven't, look forward to uh, getting your feedback on it. Um, We've, we've done a bit of an analysis on purchasing a, uh, a bit of a case study, I should say, on purchasing a property in Brunswick. So we've looked at back in 2015, the median house price at that stage for buying a little terrace house in Brunswick was about $850,000, and it currently sits at a $1,050,000. Now, once you, we've made the allowances for stamp duty in those, uh, those different realms, um, and obviously the costs associated with both buying and then the ongoing maintenance of an investment property, Um, So professional fees in the outgoing purchase. Uh, And we've made an allowance of a deposit of around 20%, which prevents the need for lenders mortgage insurance as well. Um, We've made allowances for interest rates and how they differed during during each period. Um, And we've used, uh, for consistency's sake, we've used uh, a standard variable rate. Now there's obviously cheaper rates at present, um, but times differ and obviously fixed and variable rates change over that period of time but we've, for consistency's sake, used a variable rate. Um, and then looked at gross yields um, and the costs associated with ongoing expenses of property. So, not just maintenance, but also um, management fees, uh, insurance, rates, those sorts of costs that would be associated with holding a property. And then we've looked at the tax savings, obviously, from a negative gearing perspective that you can benefit from. Now, for this uh, case study, we've we've looked at um, an income earner in the $80,000 to $180,000 tax bracket. And what all of this has told us is that back in 2015, the after tax cost would have been $240 per week for an $850,000 median house price. And in 2021, for a million dollar or million and fifty dollar um, purchase price, the, uh, the after tax cost per week is $137. So it's a significant saving from a um, from or significant out, saving on outlay um, for uh, an investor, which will continue to create that um, that demand and attraction of investing in property going into this year. Now, these uh, lending conditions being eased, the lower interest rates is likely to in- lead to an increase in demand. Um, And that's being evidenced by the current clearance rates that we're seeing in the marketplace. So the clearance rate towards the end of 2020 as the market came out of the hibernation phase was around the early 70s to mid 70% range. But as 2021 has opened up, we're seeing clearance rates um, consistently up in the 80% mark, which is a very, very strong market, um, particularly a seller's market. So what's likely to happen there is that vendors are, which they can be quite reactionary, they're likely to... um, Uh, see these strong conditions um, and respond to that. And as that confidence builds, we'll see that there'll be greater levels of supply coming onto the market as 2021 progresses. But what we haven't seen, which was um, a concern for many people, was that there hasn't really been a flood of properties coming onto the market as a result of mortgage defaults. And it's probably unlikely to materialize at this stage. We've seen a number of um, reports and surveys carried out. The ABS carried out a survey that showed that 11% of people struggled to repay their mortgage back in October last year, which was up 6% since June. So that was start, starting to, to show that as the conditions worsened and we were in the, the lockdown phases for a longer period of time, it was putting greater stress on people. Um, however, the Australian Banking Association stated in November following that that it believed by that stage, most Australians were through the worst. And with the number of deferred loans dropping by almost 70% since the peak earlier in the year. Further to that, Commonwealth Bank economists estimated that with government stimulus checks, loan deferrals, superannuation withdrawals and other measures that businesses and households are now sitting on as much as $100 billion worth of savings across the economy. So it's putting people in a really, really strong position going forward. So with the eventual winding back of government support, um, that is still a concern for people and a bit of an issue. but now, the economy looks to be in a far better position than it did, say, in September. Um, and that's partly to do with the fact that um, the, the bulk of the country, apart from Melbourne, Victoria, has had time to recover and has been recovering for a longer period. And, and it's probably given Melbourne greater deals of support and made it easier to come out of the second wave um, than if the whole country had been in, uh, in a similar position. Um, the other positive is that consumer sen- sentiment is, is really starting to build. Um, and it's easing fears of of those mortgage defaults coming into play. The further support from the the property market's perspective is that the government stimulus measures that are currently in play. So things such as the first home loan deposit scheme, um, the stamp duty concessions that are being offered by state governments, and also the home builder incentives. All of these are uh, are providing different opportunities for people to get into the property market and are likely to mean that it'll continue to perform well. The third element um, is the recovering uh, rental markets. So the Melbourne rental market was significantly impacted by the ramifications of COVID-19 and the closure of the Australian borders, limiting international travellers, um, international students, and obviously closing um, universities, which led to uh, perhaps regional university students not coming back to Melbourne and taking up um, further residential accommodation, meant that there was a lack of rental a demand for rental properties. Um, You combine that with the lack of travels uh, from international um, travelers, meant that short-term rentals started to revert to long-term. So things like uh, Airbnb type accommodation where owners weren't being able to to generate an income, they reverted their properties to long-term rental accommodation which led to a flood of of properties onto the rental market and that was particularly the case within the apartment sector um, and and more so in that high-rise type sector in the uh, the inner city areas so that really started to put pressure onto landlords but that was further emphasized by the rental moratoriums that were brought into place to protect tenants who were in financial stress from both rental increases and from an eviction but that really did create further uncertainty for landlords um, and those that may have been considering investing, because they um, they that uncertainty led to well if I can't secure a tenant or if I have to take a rental hit, it means that I'm really not don't have the confidence in the market to uh, to enter that space. Now the fact that the moratoriums are likely to be eased at the end of March, borders will start to open up, um, particularly more domestically initially as the vaccine is rolled out. Um, and then as the year progresses hopefully international borders as we wait and see what um, different countries controls are like and, and I'm sure it will be a gradual process but it will start to happen and when that does that will slowly mean that um, the rental market will recover it'll be slower than what the, the capital market recovery will be so um, I, I don't ex- I expect yields to sharpen um, as the year progresses but the, um, the benefit of, uh, of rental returns will start to come um, towards the back end of the year as well, um, and things will start to stabilise. Now the housing market has um, stabilised already and is um, and actually starting to show some, some recovery and positive uh, growth, but the rental market um, from an apartment point of view, it's decreasing at a slower rate than it was and starting to show signs of stabilisation, which is, which is a positive thing as well. Now, the final um, element of those four trends that we've we've spoken about is the, uh, the trend away from city living will likely to start to be revised. Now, COVID has certainly reshaped employment arrangements for many people uh, throughout 2020 and into 2021, but it's still unlikely to reshape the long-term property prices. Much has been made of residents vacating cities for regional areas due to flexible working arrangements, conditions, and obviously health concerns that people have had. But it's really, that sentiment is reactionary and it's not likely to be a long-term trend. Um, once those that do want to go down that path have, uh, have made that transition, um, it will start to stop and to stabilise. Now, obviously, regional areas are absolutely going to benefit from this, because if you take a small number of people out of metropolitan Melbourne and put them into a relatively small, um, compared to metropolitan Melbourne, regional city, it's going to increase demand in those areas, far more notably than it's going to decrease some demand in uh, in metropolitan areas. So it will benefit those regional areas, but I don't think it's going to be at the expense of metropolitan Melbourne. Now we're already seeing the recovery in those, in Melbourne areas due to that depth of demand that metropolitan Melbourne has, um, the broader economic conditions that you get in a metropolitan city. Um, the fact that the pandemic has been very well handled, uh, that strong government support um, has been in place. And when the borders do actually open, Australia is likely to be a a very in-demand country because of the way that uh, our governments have handled the the pandemic and the, the resilience that we've shown. And as a result of that, when the, the borders do open and immigrants do start to come back, and and international students do, they typically re- prefer to be in cities as opposed to regional areas, which will continue to further push the uh, the um, the government. Or sorry, the the performance of the Melbourne market. Um, and these capital cities have consistently shown over an extended and longer period of time that they do outperform regional regional areas. So, I think over the long term, um, the the metropolitan will be a still the uh, the desirable area from a, an investment perspective. Now, what I also what we also wanted to, and what, what we've done in the report is look at um, a bit of a case study. Now, looking at um, COVID-19 and the impacts um, from that on the economy, compared to the last significant market downturn that we experienced as a country, which was obviously in 2008, the global financial crisis. Now, the difference there was that the GFC, the decline was Far more intensified at a gradual rate, so it's probably not the right phrase. But the it came about um, under more gradual circumstances due to worsening financial conditions, as opposed to COVID, where the impact was almost immediate um, due to health concerns and, and having to shut down um, cities and, and countries um, fairly quickly. So with the with COVID nineteen, we went into the uh, the perform or to the to two thousand and twenty with fairly strong market performance in a property sense. We came off the back of a strong finish to 2019 and the market was building well uh, into the first quarter of the year. The shutdowns, what they did was create an artificial divergence from the underlying market fundamentals that were performing quite well at that point in time. And as the virus was brought under control, those shutdowns were eased and the market started to recover. So in late 2020, from a Melbourne perspective, Um, things really started to recalibrate and we got back to pre-COVID trends. Now this differs from the GFC where the market was subdued throughout 2020 uh, sorry 2008 and well into 2009 uh, ahead of a surge uh, in the second half of 2009 and into 2010. So it took a lot longer um, and it was a more gradual recovery. Once it did recover it performed quite well. Um, and certainly the early stages for, for COVID show that it's, um, it's quite promising. And unless we get further lockdowns, um, and they do remain a bit of a risk, the underlying growth trajectory remains fairly strong. So it's interesting to look at them. And there's a, we've put a graph in the report, which you can have a look at to see the different stages of each, um, each financial impact and how they've um, recovered and what was done at different stages to assist that recovery. So let's um, finally look at the 2021 and beyond and what what our expectations are for the market at the year ahead. CoreLogic data is certainly showing that the Melbourne residential property market bottomed out in uh, October last year in 2020. And the Melbourne market is really continuing to to show a strong recovery. We're seeing, as I said before, very strong clearance rates, which is fantastic. Um, And we're seeing strong supply numbers as well as the market starts to build in those vendors having confidence to uh, to put properties on the market in that they'll actually get what the, what they believe their property is worth um, in a sales sense the other thing is that we saw that the February lockdown that we experienced over a short space of time in Melbourne really had a minimal impact on the market and we were able to react and and um, and keep things ticking along fairly quickly. Some auctions were postponed, some were reverted to online, um, but the market was able to continue to move. We weren't able to do inspections, but because it was a short, sharp um, lockdown, things moved fairly quickly um, and continued on. So that's what's giving us confidence to say that we believe the Melbourne market is likely to increase in value, particularly in the investment space, by at least 10% um, in terms of growth for this year, and it may be more in certain sectors. And What we feel is looking back um, on 2020 in years ahead is that it's likely to be a bit of an aberration, and 2021 prices are likely to reunite with the upward trajectory that we saw at the end of 2019. So the long-term growth of the Melbourne property market is likely to outlast the threat of COVID-19 in the long term. So that's uh, the end of our first um, podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining me today for episode one of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. Please feel free to share the podcast with family and friends. The more coverage we'll get, the better it'll be. Um, and if you'd like to further uh, get further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. Thank you.